Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, my friend. I am Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Let's jump right into the Word of God today. Where in the Word are you today? We want to be people who are in the Word, that the Word might make its way into us, so that when the world squeezes us, and you know it will, uh, when the world squeezes us, what comes out of us is the grace and truth of the reality of who God is, um, that we would be able to not only apprehend God in a given moment, but that we'd be able to communicate that to others. So uh, in that spirit, let's jump into today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, Psalm 138, verses 7 and 8. Though I am surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand, and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. You are faithful, O Lord. Your love endures forever. Don't abandon me, for you made me. So I have a a number of thoughts to share this morning. I think I'll just reduce it down to two here. Um, Right in the middle of these verses, it says, The Lord will work out his plans for for my life. There's a lot of people doing a lot of life planning right now. I don't know how many like, you know, life planning opportunities. Maybe it's time of life thing. Maybe maybe at 55 people think you need some life planning. Like they they're worried that you don't have a plan going forward. You've had a plan to this point and maybe those plans have fallen apart and so maybe you need a new plan. You need a game plan. So lots of offers right now. Like, you know, Carmen, don't you want to come to this and work out a life plan? I'm like, I'm not working out a life plan. I got a life plan. I'm living in faith every day. I'm walking step by step with Jesus. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I, that is my life plan. I have a life plan every single day. I'm, I'm walking as faithfully as I can muster, um, step by step with the Lord yoked to Christ. And if you're yoked to Christ, that means you're yoked to me. So I don't know, maybe that's a life plan. You got to work out, but I'm, I'm, my life plans worked out life living in faith every day, write it down somewhere. I, you know, I, that's, that's what we're doing. That is our life plan. And the Lord will work out his plans for my life. I totally trust that. I totally trust him to know better what to do with my life than I could ever figure out. My life plan makes no sense apart from whatever it is that God has planned. So that's my first thought. My second thought is even though. This is one of those even though verses of the Bible. There are lots of them, by the way. You could actually do an even though study of Scripture, um, in the same way, you could do a therefore study, right? Like you could look at all the therefores and ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? There's lots of words in Scripture that make for really good word studies all the way through. Even though or though is is one of those words or phrases. So even though, the psalmist says, even though I am surrounded by troubles, even though. 
What's your even though today? Hmm. What's your even though today? Even though God did not do what I asked, even though God did not do what I expected, even though God did not answer my prayer the way I wanted, even though my child is living in ways that um, are not how I raised them or know is God's best for them, even though I begged, even though, even though. Paul frames the even though realities of life in the language of peace and contentment. I think here about uh, Philippians 4, where Paul talks about, you know, in, in every circumstance or in all circumstances. Now, remember, Paul's circumstances would, would be a Roman prison cell um, in every circumstance, in all circumstances. I've learned the secret of being content. And what is the secret? Well, the secret is Christ, even though, even though, and then fill in the blank, and then just put this one word right there as the answer, Christ, even though. My friend, Jesus does not promise us a life that is carefree. In fact, he promises a life that's going to be full of cares. He doesn't promise us a certain set of circumstances. He promises to be with us in the midst of every circumstance. He promises to never leave us and never forsake us. He promises to go ahead of us. He promises to shepherd us and guide us and receive us to himself at the end. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, even though it seemed impossible, God delivered, even though Abraham and Sarah were well past childbearing age or Zachariah and Elizabeth, even though, even though Job didn't deserve the challenges that he faced, and even though Job was faithful to God, even though, even though David was small and unlikely, and even though Goliath was huge in every way, even though, even though there was only five loaves of bread and two fish, thousands of people, even though, even though we were sinners, even though Christ died on the cross, even though, even though I'm surrounded by troubles, what's your even though today? Our friend Ben Johnson is going to join us, and we're going to apply the mind of Christ to some of the headline news of the day. We're going to talk about the way the world is talking about things. So when you think about language and you think about the ways in which people are talking about things happening in the culture today? Are you listening to the language that they are using? We're going to talk about uh, those, uh, those topics next. And in the meantime, what's your even though today? You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Ben Johnson is back. He's the the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor at the Washington Stand. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. Uh, Louisiana. Um, Let's do this headline from from Louisiana. You have it posted at WashingtonStand.com under the term victory. So um, tell us what the victory is here. And then I'd like to unpack a conversation about language related to this. Yes, uh, this this was great news out of uh, the state of Louisiana, where they had passed a bill called Stop Harming Our Kids Act, uh, HB 648, which prevents surgical or chemical uh, uh, procedures on minors uh, in order to uh, attempt to change their gender identity. So that would be puberty blockers, uh, cross-sex hormone injections, or any kind of surgical procedure. Uh, the age for that is now raised to 18. The uh, governor in the state, John Bell Edwards, had vetoed the bill 
And uh, for just the third time in 50 years, they called the legislature back into session in order to have a veto override session, and they overrode the bill uh, with bipartisan support in both chambers. So that is now law. It will take effect uh, on January 1st. So it's good news in terms that it's protected those children, which can be irreversible, uh, both Hmm. All right. We're, um, we're, we're getting about every other word from Ben Johnson, and I want to get every word. So Paul Perot will diligently work to reconnect with him. Here's the, here's the conversation we're going to have when we reconnect with Ben. So um, recognizing that this kind of legislation is taking place on what I would describe as both sides of the aisle. So depending on which state you're in, you may have, um, you may have a legislature that is working on this kind of um, legislation in your state a legislation that is designed to protect children from these um, experimental, unproven, um, and yet absolutely life-changing treatments and surgeries. You might also be living in a state where that is considered a denial of rights, where the word ban or the word gender-affirming is used, where these procedures are described as life-saving and described as health care, and where the children involved are not described at all as children, but as young trans people. Language matters, and the kinds of language that we use to frame a conversation um, actually leads not only to meaning, but forms thoughts in people's minds. And so when when Ben and I uh, return here to conversation in just a moment, that's where we're going to pick things up. Um, we're going we're gonna to pick this up in just a moment. Um, how, how we talk about the subject matter of, let's say, trans-identifying children um, and the procedures that might be made available to them, is that protecting them um, or is it preventing them from accessing the quote-unquote health care that they need? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. All right, returning to our conversation with Ben Johnson. Ben, thanks so much for reconnecting with us. Um, Let's have a conversation about language. So the language that we use, we could be talking here about the topic of abortion. We could be talking here about the topic of LGBTQ, um, quote unquote, rights or services, protections, um, procedures. The, The language that we use 
um, frames frames the conversation. So can we just talk about that? Let's do that. You know, there are certain certain heuristics that you can use, uh, certain keys that will open up the underlying worldview of the person who wrote the story. Uh, so when when we're looking at media, we have to be wise consumers. We have to understand, and I think all of our listeners do understand, that journalists come into the story with their own bias. Uh, this is true across the board, and they often import that into the way that they cover the story. And there are certain words that you can look for, whether it's abortion or whether it's uh, the uh, transgender issue. You can see certain words, certain phrases that are used. Key- All right. Yeah. We're um, we're whatever technology we've been using, we're going to ditch it and we're going to find another one. So let me define a word that Ben Johnson just used that might be new in your vocabulary or, you know, you just woke up. And so heuristic didn't immediately populate in your uh, mental uh, Rolodex there. So a heuristic, H-E-U-R-I-S-T-I-C, heuristic, it's a mental shortcut so you and I use them all the time. It's a really quick way of delivering um, delivering a result. So you and I, you and I have lots of these that operate all the time in our minds, and that's what um, that's what Ben is talking about when he uses the word heuristic. He's talking about a mental shortcut. So you can look at the language that someone is using, how they are how they are framing a conversation, and that is going to help you understand or see their worldview. All right, Ben, you're back again, and I have in your absence defined the word of the day which I have decided is, decided is heuristic. Well, thank you for doing so. I appreciate uh, you defining my terms as I speak about defining terms. It's, it's a, a meta conversation, <laughs> which is great for our educated listeners. Uh, the, the terms that uh, we should be looking for when it comes to, uh, this, when it comes to abortion, uh, particularly since Dobbs, you'll find two different sets of, of uh, phrases that are used. They would say that pro-life laws, they never use the term pro-life, they are always abortion bans, which are either strict, restrictive, or harsh. And that language is, is chosen deliberately. A seatbelt that's too tight is restrictive. Uh, if you come home 20 minutes late and your mother lays into you, that's harsh. And those are the mental and cognitive links that they're trying to establish with laws that protect children. Uh, on the other hand, where they talk about uh, states that have repealed certain protections, they will say they've passed abortion protections. And they aren't protecting the children, obviously. They aren't protecting the mother. Mothers are often injured or killed, uh, which I've covered uh, in the Washington stand. Uh, they, those procedures often harm the mother. The protections are for the abortion industry, uh, that they will not be sued, that they will not be held accountable for what's taking place there. So they are protecting abortion at the expense of mothers and children. But that's the language they will use abortion protections that enshrine a state's right or its status as an abortion sanctuary. So that's the kind of language that's used there. Now, enshrine is holy language. Sanctuary, obviously, is explicitly worshipful language. And that gives you an idea where they're coming from. On the transgender issue, they will say that uh, states have either repealed uh, LGBTQ rights or have attacked the LGBTQ community. Uh, oftentimes, they will they will echo language used by uh, lobbyists to say that these are quote anti-LGBTQ bills uh, that repeal uh, gender affirming care for vulnerable people. And what they mean is that they've enacted protections for children whose minds are not fully formed. The brain is not fully formed until the mid twenties, uh, and we don't allow minors 
to have a whole host of procedures or rights. Uh, they're not allowed to get tattoos. They're not allowed to smoke or drink. Uh, but uh, in many states, they're allowed to have life-altering, permanently uh, changing surgeries or procedures without any parental consent. So bills that protect children like, uh, like uh, uh, these children who are struggling, 80 to 90% of whom will reconcile with their birth gender by the time that they reach 18, if they're left to their own devices, uh, these are these are called anti-LGBTQ bills and bills that uh, allow the industry to experiment and perform experimental drugs, as you said in the outset of this program, are considered, quote-unquote, protections. So that's the language to understand. It's sort of like the old Soviet press where you have to read between the lines and sort of invert everything uh, from one side to the other in order to understand what it is they're actually trying to convert, to, to convey to you. Uh, yeah, and then in order to, to understand what's actually happening, you have to read between the lines or completely reverse the language. But that's what's necessary in a culture that has rejected the king of kings and turned creation upside down. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons, Ben, that we can't just read from one source or listen to one source in terms of the media, um, because everyone is operating out of some some position, some side, some bias. Um, and so one of the one of the ways that I read and listen um, is to kind of tell myself in advance, all right, I want to listen for euphemistic or dysphemistic language. And those would be other words for the day today. Like euphemism is casting something in the best possible light, even um, maybe even with some rose colored glasses and dysphemism or couching something in dysphemistic terms is is in the worst possible light, like you know, seeing it through a lens that um, that is that is even muddied in advance. And so, if I'm listening for that kind of language, um, it, you can sometimes not only see through the worldview of the person who is making the argument, either in print or you know on air, but you can also possibly get to the nugget of what's actually going on. But but you gotta you gotta sort and sift through a lot of language to get there in some cases. You really do, and the average person doesn't put in the state work, unfortunately. There was a study done in twenty twenty, seventy percent of all people never read beyond the headline. And so often when you're speaking to someone, if it sounds as though they're they're saying something that's uh, ill informed or that's uh, incorrect, uh, that they are under informed about the topic, it's because they've read the headline and these terms are, are infused into the headline quite deliberately in order to create a certain impression. As you say, when you dig through the language, uh, a large part of any kind of discipline, academic disciplines and others, just knowing the terminology. Once you know the language that they're using, then you can understand, as you say, the nugget of what's actually taking place. And that allows us to act with information. Uh, People sometimes ask me, what, what sources do you read? And I read all of the same sources everybody else does. I'll read the New York Times or the Washington Post. But uh, the, good, the good bit of news that's really valuable is usually in the 23rd paragraph. And you've got to sort through a whole host of uh, off-topic information, uh, false, uh, false correlations and things of that sort. And you simply have to know that each side is coming at it with a bias, but in order to understand what's taking place. If you know the language, then you can get to the core of it. So uh, when, when people say, for example, there have been hundreds of anti-LGBTQ laws passed over the last few years, what they mean is that 
there have been a lot of states that have protected children who uh, would not be able to receive uh, an aspirin at school without their parents' consent from receiving uh, these kinds of uh, procedures. That's, that's the underlying background of it, but it takes a lot of work, and it's important for us if we're going to be Christian truth-tellers to understand the truth. Uh, we speak the, the truth as the, the language of the kingdom. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we, uh, when we speak in his language, we have to understand what's being said and be able to convey the facts in the most direct way possible, because unfortunately the media is doing everything it can to obscure the truth. So as you're um, as you're reading, as you're listening, look for look for the words being used to describe something. If something is described as restored or something is described as struck down, something is described as uh, gender change or gender affirming um, versus, um, you know, the what I would describe as the reality, which is that, you know, that's a departure from reality Um, when they talk about um, they talk about a, an individual. If that individual is 12 years old, you know, it's a child. Um, but you'll see language where that person is described as, um, as you know, young and trans or something like that. And so look for the language that's being used to describe someone. I think um, I, I think the the age conversation is a really interesting one, Ben, and one to watch for as we go forward in all of this. Um, I'm aware of this when a when an individual is arrested. Sometimes they're just described as a youthful offender. Other times they're described as a child. Um, sometimes they're described as, you know, like on the verge of adulthood. And you're like, OK, well, that's because you're trying to get me to see that person differently. But a person who is 17 is 17 is 17 and and legally still in this country, a child. And so not of major age would be another way of describing that. So look for all of that language and then ask yourself what is my responsibility as an adult? What is my responsibility as an adult for children? And and then bear that out in, in the conversations of the day. Ask yourself, when you hear somebody describe abortion as women's health care, ask yourself, when did that happen? When, when did abortion become health care? And what about the second patient? Who's giving consideration to the health and the health care, the care of for the health of the second patient in every abortion. So those are some some considerations that I want you to encourage to think about as you encounter the headlines uh, today. Ben, as always, thank you so much. Um, if you guys haven't visited WashingtonStand.com lately, Ben has a new piece there that you simply must read. It actually requires no comment beyond just um, just the content that Ben's offering. Morally unjust, this 49-year-old man who identifies as a woman has just beat a field of disabled women to take a medal at the World Para-Athletics Championships in Paris. So check that article out at WashingtonStand.com. Ben, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with the technical difficulties, and God bless. It's all good. It's all good. We love talking with you. That's Ben Johnson. Uh, You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. All right, what uh, what are you watching these days? What are you wishing for? What are you hoping for? What's on your grief list? Maybe we'll talk about grief next. Um, I, I've become aware that people are using 
AI chatbots, um, these uh, artificially intelligent communication resources, in terms of uh, technically processing through their grief, but I'm not sure they're processing through their grief. I think they're living in um, in denial of reality. And so, I mean, maybe this is not a surprise that you could feed all of the uh, content that you've had back and forth with a person that you love. You could you, know, you can feed your emails and your text messages into uh, a, a chat program, and that chat program will text you back um, as if it is still your deceased loved one. Is that? Yeah, I don't know. How does that feel to you? How does that feel to you? We're going to talk about that next. People turning to chatbot impersonations of lost loved ones um, because, frankly, they don't have an understanding of the possibility of life beyond life. And so it, it is right there on the verge and on the edge of conversations related to just how lost the culture is in which we live. But I will also acknowledge this is a real temptation for Christians as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Out of much affliction and anguish, um, I write to you with tears. Not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. He writes in Romans that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He reminds us in 1 Thessalonians um, about the nature of those who are quote-unquote asleep so that we will what? Not grieve as those who have no hope. Are you grieving like the world grieves? Grief is real. Grief is expected. Um, Grief is a process. It's a journey. We talk about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Grief is also intended to be temporary. We do move through it. We change over time. Um, Grief changes over time. You know that. It's not that time heals all wounds. That's not true. But um, grief does change over time, and it's meant to be temporary. Why is that? Because God has provided um, for us to live forever in his presence. I mean, I'm thinking here of First Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So though we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. Like, there is hope. Death is not, uh, not the final word. But not everybody knows this good news. Not everybody knows the good news that there's an offer that you can be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that you would obtain, again, this is still 1 Peter chapter 1, obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, would never fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. In this you greatly rejoice, even though, this is another one of those even though passages, by the way, um, even though for a little while you experience distresses and trials of many kinds. That's grief. That's grief. Peter's talking about the reality of grief. We grieve. 
I want you to um, read First Peter 1 today as a part of this conversation about grief. So here's what's going on in the culture. Um, I'll just read the first couple of paragraphs here from this piece. This, this appears in The Guardian. Um, artificial intelligence, quote, It was as if my father were actually texting me. Grief in the age of AI. People are turning to chatbot impersonations of lost loved ones to help them grieve. Will AI help us live after we're dead? Let me just go ahead and say, AI is not going to help you live after you're dead. Jesus helps you live after you're dead. That, the, this is, the, the world is searching for the hope of salvation, and they're, they're willing to look anywhere to find it. And the world is going to offer them all kinds of strange answers to the question. But the reality is, we have hope. Because Christ has died and Christ is risen um, and, and offers to us a way home, all the way home to the Father's house. He's gone to prepare a place for us. If, if it weren't true, he wouldn't have told us. So will AI help us live after we're dead? No, but Jesus will. All right, so here's the, head, here's the lead. When Sunshine Henley's mother, Linda, died unexpectedly at the age of 72, Henley, a 42-year-old Floridian, was left with what she describes as a gaping hole of silence in her life. All right, let me just say this. If at 42, the primary voice in your life is your 72-year-old mother, um, you need to open your ears. This is not a condemnation of anybody. This is an invitation to everyone. Do Do you know the difference? This is not a condemnation of anyone. This is an invitation to everyone that we would have eyes that see and ears that hear and hearts that are actually open to the gospel. Do I love the sound of my mom's voice? Yes. Do I also know that the time is going to come when she's going to close her eyes here in this world and open her eyes in the fullness of the presence of the Lord? Yeah, I know that. And I, I, that's going to be a great day for her. It's going to be terrible for me. Is it going to leave a gaping hole of silence in my life? My dad died when I was 15. Um, I have no recording of his voice. So do I understand what these people are looking for? Do I know what, what, so, so this woman kept, uh, you know, she's kept text messages. She's got voicemails. She's got all kinds of voice recordings of her mom. Um, and, um, but what she really wants is, is responses from her mom in real time. She wants to connect with her mom who is now gone. And so, um, Chat GPT has filled that void and is answering that felt need. Let me read this. She describes this as a reincarnated version of her mother. I think I'm going to use it when I'm doubting myself or some part of a relationship. Now, she does say, I will probably not try to converse with it as if it is really her talking back to me. But I'm going to get wisdom out of it, like a friend bringing me comfort. This, uh, this, these testimonials go on and on and on about people using chat GPT 
um, and other AI resources to um, provide for them uh, ongoing communication with people who are now dead. Think about that for just a moment. Artificial intelligence is now providing a way for ongoing communication with people who are now dead. What does the Bible have to say about communicating with the dead? Did you, I mean, do you know that there are numerous times in the Bible where there are these uh, prohibitions about uh, talking with or talking to the dead? Um, In the Old Testament, it actually says that, you know, people are defiled by their attempts at communicating with the dead. It is a a practice that is uh, considered detestable to God. More than 100 verses in the Bible dedicated to not doing this. And you say to yourself, well, I mean, you know, what's wrong with listening to, with, with, with continuing to go back and listening to the recorded voice of my beloved? I don't, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I do wonder if you're looking to, if you're imagining that there is a way for you to communicate with them in real time um, to, quote unquote, get their wisdom now on something. Um, and you are willing to either use a medium and a medium, it could be a human being who, who believes they are connecting you to the dead. Those exist as well. That is clearly forbidden in scripture, but AI here is functioning as a medium, a go between. So, um, again, I don't want to sound heartless or mean. Um, if you're grieving, I, I get it. I get the heart's desire to be connected to those who we love, who have gone before us. I get that. Um, I also believe that God has prepared a way for us to live fully in his presence with him and with others who believe. And so in whatever time you have here and now, Use it to be sure that those you love are going the same place you're going. Headed in the same direction. That the, you know, the reunion at the father's house, the the big family reunion, the big family table, that they've, you know, that reserved seat, they're going to be in it. When my friend Susan died just a few years ago, like that's was one of the comforts. I mean, you know, she's a believer. She's a vibrant, beautiful believer in the Lord. Um, and a year, I mean, it wasn't even a year after having a totally clear mammogram, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and it had already consumed her body. Um, and she died 11 days after her diagnosis. Um, she was my best friend here where I live now. And it seemed awful and mean and it left this gaping hole in my life. But I didn't try to communicate with her. I know her, and I know who she's with, and I got to tell you, she's way more interested in the conversation she's having now than any conversation she could ever have with me. She's living in the fullness of the presence of the Lord. She's in heaven. She's taken her seat at the table. I just hope mine is close to hers, right? That's, that's, that's the vision. That's the image. In the, in the room that Christ went to prepare for her, I hope it's near mine. Like, right? I hope we're living, you know, in, in some kind of proximity to each other in the kingdom of heaven so that I can, you know, I can see her seeing him. 
That's, that's the joy. That's the hope. And so let us not grieve as those who have no hope. Let's not grieve like the world grieves. Let's teach the world to grieve in the right way. Let's be the people that advocate for grief that looks toward heaven. Not with pie in the sky hope, but with confident hope in the way of Jesus. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, I have uh, I have a list of headlines here that we could talk about. One of them, <laughs> this is where this is where uh, it's it's hard to choose. I'm just going to go ahead and confess. Sometimes it's hard for me to choose. Like, which one of these headlines should we talk about today? Um, should we talk about the headline where people no longer have to have a human being to witness their marriage license? They can have a cat do it. I mean, how do you feel about that? I. That's a that's just a degradation, another degradation of marriage. Um, and so I would say let's um, let marriage be held in honor among them all would be my response to that headline. Like, I'm not sure we need to dig too far into that. Um, but I think that the cavalier nature with which people talk about marriage, marriage ceremonies, um, what they're going to weave into a marriage ceremony. Like we got to we got to hit the pause button every once in a while and ask ourselves what is marriage? What is a wedding? It is more than a walk down an aisle. Um, what are vows? Who are we taking them before? Um, who are we making them to? And what are witnesses? I mean, the, the whole concept of witnesses at a wedding is actually, I mean, yes, we've made it a legal thing, but it's a spiritual thing. I am there to witness the vows that these two individuals are making to one another and to God. Like I am a human witness of a spiritual thing that's happening. God is knitting two people together, one man and one woman into one fl- into a one flesh union that somehow mysteriously, mysteriously helps us understand what life is going to be like in the kingdom of heaven where Jesus and his bride, the church of which Christians are individual members. Like somehow that union is what we're experiencing in marriage. I don't I don't understand all that, but that's what's happening. It's not two people conveniently coming together for some period of time for some personal sexual or financial benefit. Like that is not what's happening in marriage. What's happening in marriage is that God is knitting two human beings together in a covenant union that he intends to last as a as an image here on earth of what heaven is like. And so this, I mean, some of the comments in relationship to this article about, you know, having a cat witness your wedding and using, you know, using their paw, uh, paw print on your marriage license. I just, 
I mean, I, I put my, my, my eyes are closed. My head is in my hands. I just, and I'm shaking slightly from right to left. Like I, um, we've minimized it in ways that have made it a throwaway for many people. And that's just not what it is. It's just not what God intends. So let's be people today who hold marriage and honor among us all. Um, let's fiercely defend um, the marriage bed, the sanctity of marriage. I mean, let's be those people in the culture today. All right. And then here was an article that I read about keeping the C in the YMCA, which, of course, led me to want to sing YMCA, YM, which, you know, there you go. <clears throat> tells you something about the, the, the time of life that uh, uh, I was in when that music was released. Um, okay, the village people, by the way, who I know you're not celebrating the village people, but that's okay. Um, the YMCA song is super fun. So the C in YMCA is Christian, the Young Men's Christian Association. Well, how Christian is your YMCA? That, I think, is the question here. So the YMCA started in these factories in 19th century London, and then it spread around the globe to become really one of the most successful parachurch uh, movements anywhere. Today, there are more than 14,000 Ys. The Y is the way it's probably known across America. Um, You probably think of it as like a physical fitness facility. Um, But the C in it is increasingly neglected. So how much C is there in your YMCA? And in some places, apparently, um, the C is being replaced by LGBTQ. And so that's the conversation that's going on um, here in this particular article where there is this concern that um, the, the C in the YMCA is, is definitely being obscured by efforts to offer programming um, highlighted in ways that um, would, would, would not be aligned. I mean, they just wouldn't. They wouldn't be aligned with what Scripture believes us is, uh, leads us to believe is God's design and God's best for human beings. So just um, maybe check out, you know, what's going on at your local YMCA. See how much C there is in the YMCA. You really can't speak into this unless you're a member of the Y. So, um, you know, I do think that's important. Like, you, if it's something that you are actively engaged in, and this is a conversation into which you're invited— Otherwise, you're just, you know, throwing stones from outside the house, and I'm not, uh, I'm not encouraging that. Here's, uh, here's my final uh, thought in this segment today. Again, we're just sort of having a conversation with each other like we would if we were sitting down for a cup of coffee wherever you are right now, which I hope is what we're doing together, um, or tea or whatever, warm beverage, or maybe you're having a cold beverage this morning because it's, it's crazy hot outside. I'm feeling for the people in Phoenix the low, the low, the low in Phoenix last night was 97. That's not a, that's, that's not a low enough low. So <clears throat> it may be hot where you are, but, but it's probably not that hot. So be praying for people um, who are in very, very hot places uh, across the country and around the world today. So you are welcome to um, have an iced coffee with me this morning. That'd be delightful as well. Um, best and worst summer jobs. I want you to think for a moment about your best or your worst summer job. It's possible that your best and worst summer job were the same job. Like, I totally get that. For those of you who grew up on farms, um, there was no distinction between your summer job and the job you 
always had every day year round um, because it was a farm job of some kind. And so uh, data suggests that young people today are actually not working summer jobs anymore. So back in the 70s, I mean, a very high percentage of teenagers actually had summer jobs. Kind of the early, you know, the earlier you could get a job, the better. I mean, it it wasn't unusual for a 12 or 13 year old to have a summer job back in the 70s. That is highly unusual today. Um, And so the percentage of even 17 year olds, we're talking about students who are probably entering their senior year. um, Only like 30 percent of them have a summer job. Now, why is that? Well, some of them are taking summer classes. Now, there you're probably talking about college students as much as you're talking about older high school students who are trying to get ahead in terms of college credits. Summer classes, um, summer breaks are actually shorter now than they used to be. People take vacations and they're more committed to that than than maybe they are to um, to a job. There are all kinds of academic things that kids can do during the summer and certainly athletic commitments Mission trips is another uh, another reason that comes up. Um, lots of teenagers are just a whole lot busier than they were a generation ago. So you should just think for a moment about the summer jobs that you had and the value that they were in your life. Did they help you discover your gifts or affirm a calling? Were you mentored by um, by somebody when you were you know on a summer job? Was it an awakening to the world of work? Did you learn some life lessons? during those summer jobs. Maybe your best and your worst summer job was the same one. So there you go. Um, Summer job, best and worst. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. All righty. Um, all right. We walk, we used to walk beans in the summer. I don't know. How, how do you walk a bean? How do you even put a bean on a leash? I don't know. I don't think that was uh, probably what that means. I'm going to need, need a little more on what it means to walk a bean in the summer. <laughs> I had cousins in Indiana who used to spend their summers um, topping corn. I know. And so there you go. Kids, kids that didn't grow up on a farm. We don't know what walking beans is. We don't know what to- uh, what topping corn means. Um, there's, there's probably something that you did when you were young, um, as a teenager, the rest of us wouldn't even understand it. So there's a conversation for the day. Uh, some of, uh, some of what we need to do is just be trained up in how to talk with each other. So maybe that's a question you could put in your pocket today to have with other people as you're trying to get to know them. Hey, what was a summer job you had, um, when you were a teenager? You know, did you know that there's just a lot of teenagers today that don't have summer jobs? Think of all the things that we learned along the way. Um, Lots of you commenting um, on the grief conversation as well. So thank you. Thank you for all the interaction uh, on on the text line this morning. Again, you can text us during the show, 877-933-2484. Yes. Okay, here we go. You walk the fields picking weeds. Uh Uh-huh. There you go. Thank you so much for that input. Walking the beans. I don't know. Are you walking the beans today? Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. That's a good reminder. We got another hour together up next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.